Father, we thank you today that you are so awesome. We thank you that you're incredible, God. We thank you that there's none like you. And God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts today to receive your word, that you would prepare, God, our hearts, God, to be open and responsive to what you want to say to each and every one of us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, high five two people around you and say it's time for a fresh start. Fresh start, fresh start, fresh start. Wow, it's hard to believe that we are standing on the threshold of a new year that tomorrow, literally hours away, we're going to be stepping into 2018 and it's going to be cold. (laughs) It's going to be really cold over the next couple of days, which is not a problem. It is winter, by the way, and uh, people are complaining about that. But here's my question and my challenge as we begin this message, and that is, what is your new year going to look like? What is your new year going to look like? For most of us, unfortunately, it's probably going to look much the same as perhaps this last year. And I want to see that change. I want to see us break a cycle in our lives because I believe our new year needs to look like a fresh opportunity. I believe our new year needs to look like a fresh start, a fresh beginning, a new beginning for us to begin to do something new in our lives. We we find ourselves making New Year's resolutions. Have you ever made any of those? You know what a New Year's resolution is? It's a lie. It's a three-week wonder. What do I mean by that? You, you do it for three weeks and you give it all you've got. And then guess what? It's gone. The gym looks good for two weeks and then you forget where the gym even was. And so we make so many resolutions and we want to change. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to change. Don't get me wrong. But I really believe that if we're going to change, we need to change. We need to break some habits. We need to break some of the things that we've found attached to us in the years that have gone by. So here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is this, that you have a deeper encounter with God, a fresh encounter with God. And that's our theme as we go into 2018, encounter God. Because we're not only believing for a new season for your life, we're believing for your life to go to heights and depths that it has never gone before. We're believing for a life-altering experience with God that will leave you totally transformed. Look at this statement. I love this statement. Are you ready to trade a stale obligation for a life-altering, energizing, experience it every day relationship with God? Can I say that one more time? Are you ready to trade in a stale obligation For a life-altering, energizing, experience it every day relationship with God. I can't answer that for you. I can answer it for my life. I'm ready. And I pray today that you are ready. So if we were to take a snapshot of your life right now, I wonder how your life would look. Are you perhaps just going through the motions? Unsure really perhaps of what's wrong, but yet you know that definitely something isn't right inside of you. Maybe right now your faith is wearing thin. Maybe it's fragile. Maybe it's frail. You've believed God to do things and it just seems like you've been disappointed that it hasn't happened and it hasn't come through as you thought it was. So now you tend to doubt more than you 
believe and fear begins to find its way creeping into your life. You used to be so full of faith and you used to tell everyone, but now you're just kind of waning by the side and perhaps even questioning, is it even worth it? Maybe you've grown up in church, so you know how to say all the right things at the right times. You know when to lift your hands, you know when to sit, you know when to shout, you know when to say amen, but inside, beneath the mask, There's an emptiness. Feels like you're just spinning your wheels and you're not getting anywhere. Maybe you've got Christian envy. Have you ever suffered from Christian envy? I know I have. I've seen other people's relationship with God and I'm like, I want that. Maybe you got that in your life. You look at someone else and you say, man, if only I could be like them. If only I could just have what they have. That Christian envy, that you desire things that you don't have that you see in other people. Maybe your life has never been better. Maybe you're on a spiritual high right now. You're kind of a little bit sad maybe to leave 2017 because, man, it's been a good one for you. Times are good. You're enjoying a spiritual party right now. And life is great. Maybe you're here today totally skeptical, cynical. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. Don't talk to me about that stuff. I'm only here because a family member invited me. They promised to take me out for lunch. I don't really know about this Jesus stuff. We could go on and on today and list so many maybes of the snapshots of your life. A picture of the current place you find your life right now. But no matter the maybes and where we're at, I'm sure we can all agree on one thing. And that is this. There has to be more. There has to be more. If you're cynical and you're searching, there has to be more. If you're going through the motions, there has to be more. If you're riding high on the high clouds, there's still more for you. Every one of us, I hope and can believe today that there still has to be more. And I'm not talking about frustration and pain. Or disappointment. Because we know there's plenty more of that that we have in every one of our lives. But the more I'm talking about is this. God, I need you more in my life. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. And I want to set the scene, if I could, for this new series. Many years ago, centuries ago, before we had motorized boats, merchants and explorers and sailors... They relied on sailboats to be able to take them around the world. A sailboat needs the wind to be able to carry it to other countries and continents. No wind, no movement. So it was fully relying on the wind to take it where it needed to go. Prior to the 20th century, there was an area that was labeled as the doldrums. Some of you have maybe heard of this. It was an area that sailors, merchants, explorers would want to avoid at all cost. The doldrums, that word, the root word means dull or lifeless. In fact, we've even used that. It's kind of an old-fashioned statement, but we've used that, that someone's in the doldrums. Meaning what? That someone is in a slump. Someone's going through a rough time right now. And there's a reason why they would say that by what I'm going to explain to you. You see, how the earth rotates 
all the currents and the clouds of the northern hemisphere literally collide with the currents and the weather of the southern hemisphere, creating an area in between that is known for such unpredictable weather, where we find that the winds and the waves actually almost cancel each other out, creating such a still, which has been called a windless dead zone. But even though the wind and it's still, just the convection and the storms and the collision and everything compiling and coming together produces some of the heaviest rain on the face of the earth. So with no wind or current to move the ships, when the ship would get locked between the northern and the southern hemisphere, they would be stuck and they would be bombarded by such heavy rains and such heavy storms that it became a graveyard for so many ships. And it became one of the most feared places on the face of the planet. Why would you say that, Pastor? Why? Because I believe that could be a snapshot of our lives. That today we're in a doldrum place. We're in between things that have happened before. We're in between things that are happening around us, but we're stuck in that place. There's no current, there's no wind. We're just being bombarded every day. We can't break free. It's like Groundhog Day. Anyone watch that movie? Every day you wake up, it's the same thing over and over again. The doldrums of life. A slump, listless, despondent, stagnant, going through the motions place. And I think that's a picture of perhaps where many of you find yourself right now. And if you're not there, you've probably been there. And if you are not there, you're probably going to be there soon. Keep living. That stuck place. And it's not usually a single reason that you're there. It's not just like one thing, boom, I'm in the doldrums. It's a result of a number of factors that come together many times that hit us from all sides, that when someone says, what's wrong with you? Really, we, when we say, I don't know, we don't really know, because it could be this, 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 this. What is it? I don't know. It's the doldrums. I'm stuck. It's just not happening for my life. I just want to present some reasons why I think we can find ourselves in a windless, a lifeless, slump, stuck place. Number one, because we have drifted away. We have drifted away. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. As time is running short, the word of God is telling us, you've got to give earnest heed to what you have heard. What have you heard? What have we been teaching? What have we been presenting? What do you see all around you every day? Look around. Give earnest heed to those things. For what reason? You better know where your anchor point is. If not, you're going to find yourself drifting away. Why? Because drift happens. I said drift happens. You ever been at the beach? 
and you're playing in the beach and you're in the water and you're on a float and you're just playing in the water and you're throwing a ball and you're just floating backwards and forwards and everything and life is great and everything is awesome and then you turn to the kids or those around you and say, come on, let's go back in and all of a sudden your back in is not where you started. Why? Because you find yourself drifting away. I know when we've been at the beach and we see the kids and you're constantly trying to keep an eye on the kids and you're like, man, where's the kids? Where's the kids? You have to kind of look to the side. Why? Because the kids drift. Oh, there they are over there. Come on, get back. And most of the time you have to get out to come back. Why? Because the drift happens in our lives. And one of the things is this. You can get so caught up in everything that you do and you don't realize that it's even happening. You're having fun. Life's great. Everyone else is doing it. Woohoo! It's good. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithes. Well, kind of. But we can find drift so easily can begin to happen in our lives. That's why we need a sure anchor. That's why we need an anchor to keep us grounded. Because I don't want to see my life drift into a dead zone. A place of complacency. Maybe you're doing all the right things at home and at work and at church. But you're really unsure of where your life is headed. And you're kind of just drifting along. You're just like the doldrums. You're in between that northern hemisphere, that southern hemisphere. You're just kind of stuck in that area in between. What do we mean by that? I don't want to go to hell. But I'm not really sure if I want to serve God also. Come on, I'm talking to you today. I don't want to be lost, but I'm not really enjoying this found stuff anymore. Come on. I want one foot in the world. But I'll take another foot in the kingdom. We want to straddle. We want to be in between. We want to drift. It's so easy to drift to a place where you're not on fire for God anymore. But you justify that because you say, well, at least I'm not living for the devil. You, you say things like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not abandoning God. I'm definitely not leaving the church. But where's your private alone time with God? When's the last time you spent quality time with God without the cell phone, without the TV, without Snapchat? <laughs> going off on your phone. I mean, when's the last time you really spent? Because we can find ourselves drifting and convincing ourselves that everything's okay, but perhaps it's not as good as we think. So many times we can find ourselves in a spiritual no man's land. God warns us of this in Revelations. He says these words in Revelations 3, 15 and 16. God says, I know your works. And what I know about you is that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will what? Vomit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty graphic description right there. But what God is trying to show us is this, that we nauseate him to a point. That when we're trying to just live a so-called life, For him, not giving him the best, not really following him in a drifted state. God says, listen, that's not where I want you to live. And that kind of life can nauseate me. Do you notice God says, I would rather you be hot or cold. 
God says, I would rather you not serve me than not give me everything. And you may say, well, that's kind of tough. No, he's a jealous God. He wants every part of us. Why? Because he knows what a life fully surrendered to him can produce and can become. The Message Bible says, you're not hot or cold, but you have become stale and you have become stagnant. Stagnant. Ever driven down the road and just crossed over like a a ditch or something and and you're like looking at everyone in the car like, who did it? Come on now, come on. When you've got six kids in the car, you have to accuse someone in the car. You're like, who did it? And they're like, Dad, no one did it. It's the ditch. Come on, don't look at me all holy. You know what I'm talking about. Just that smell, that stagnant smell. Why is it stagnant? Because there's no movement in the water. It's just allowed to stay there. Maybe, maybe you're a smell to those around you today. Maybe you're kind of that stagnant smell. You notice someone's kind of moving away from you a little bit right now. That's life spiritually. Are people attracted to you or are people repulsed from you? Pretty interesting. This is not in my message, but Paul says these words. He said, how shall I escape this body of death? One of the punishments that they would do for a murderer back in Bible times was this. Whoever it was, the person they murdered, they would strap their body to the murderer. So the one who committed the crime would have the person they killed strapped to their person. They couldn't free themselves from that. They were enslaved to that person behind them. At first it was okay. It was inconvenient, obviously. But then that body would begin to decay. And that body would begin to rot and stink. But it wouldn't just be that body that would rot and stink because the decay would begin to work itself into the living body that still lived. And what a slow, torturous death it would be as people would be driven from them. Who would want to be around something like that? And the life and the death and the smell. Come on, our lives can be death to so many people. Come on, God has called us to bring life and hope and peace. Come on, I shouldn't walk into a place with a dead body strapped to me. I should be walking into a place bringing life to those who are bound and life to those who stink. Come on, I should be the Febreze of the world. Making everyone else smell good and be good. Listen to how Paul says it to the church in Corinth. Paul had a tough time with the church in Corinth. He had to correct them a lot. And talk to them. And look what he says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as what? Carnal. He said, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people. I had to speak to you for who you were. And what he's really addressing here is the word carnal there means stuck in the flesh. He's saying to them, I really wished I could identify you as children of God and you're doing a great job. But the reality is this, you're stuck in the flesh. You're living an ungodly life. You're not what God wants you to be. You've drifted. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, drifted. Drifted, drifted. Second problem is the problems of life. We all have them. We all face struggles in some shape or form. But when the pressures inside of us is not greater than those around us, we get crushed. 
When there's a greater pressure within, we can withstand the struggles and the pains and the circumstances. And that's God. That's our treasure who's inside of us. He wants to be that ever-guarding presence inside of us that no matter where we go, we can make it. Why? Because He is our strength inside of us. But when we allow the problems of life to become greater than the God of our lives, then we allow our lives to become pressed and squeezed. And we find ourselves crushed in ways that we never thought we would. Second Corinthians 4, 7 and 9. But we have this treasure in our earthen vessel. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God is a treasure. God is a gift for every one of us. What a great gift. He's greater than everything that I could ever be in my life. And and He takes care of all my bad and my mistakes. And He's just so good inside of my life. But it goes on and says, but even with that treasure, even with God with me, I can be what? Hard pressed on every side, but yet not crushed. I can be perplexed. That means not having the answers to what I'm facing, but never in despair. I can find myself persecuted, but not alone. Come on now. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love one of the versions says, maybe knocked down, but come on, I'm getting back up. It's not a 10 count yet. I may be knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. Why? Because God is with me. But perhaps that's not accurate anymore. You find yourself defeated. You find yourself deflated. You find yourself knocked down. You find yourself destroyed. Why? The problem is not the storm. I said the problem is not the storm. Because what we've been learning over the last few weeks is this. God uses tests and storms as opportunities to produce great growth in our life. So the problem is not the storm. The problem is our response to it. What do we do in the storm? Let me say it another way. Are you ready? Which way are you running? When the storm comes, which way are you running? Because instead of running to God for our shelter and protection, we usually run away from Him right into the eye of the storm. Where have you been lately? We haven't seen you. Just going through a lot right now. What do you mean going through a lot? Just facing a lot right now and just so busy. So I'll be back at church when I get everything sorted out. You're running into the eye of the storm. You're running into the eye of the storm. I'm protected from what's around you. Come on, I was taught as a kid, if you have a problem, you run to the house. If you're sick, you run to your healer. If you need peace, you run to the peace giver. Come on. If you need strength in your life, you run to strength. Don't run away from where you need to be. That's a lie of the enemy. Psalms 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What a picture. What a picture of what God wants to be. He wants to be the Almighty over my life. He wants to be the shadow over my life in every struggle and every problem. But so many times I run away from that secret place. And I convinced myself many times that God wouldn't even want me in that place anymore. (laughs) The enemy wants to put the blame on you. Have you ever noticed that? 
The enemy wants to blame you. After you've blamed everyone else, then it comes back to you. And the enemy says, well, it's your fault that no one wants to be around you. It's your fault that life has not happened. It's not, and it can be your fault at times. Come on, let's be honest. It can be our fault many times. But it doesn't always have to be our fault. And then he makes us believe that God hasn't kept up his end of the bargain. Well, you went to church, you prayed, you read your Bible, you even went to growth track. You even serve on one of the dream teams at your church. And this is how God repays you? You ever found yourself in a victim mentality? Here's my definition of a victim mentality. You ready? Always heading into a storm. If you're living with a victim mentality, another storm is about ready to happen if it's not already happening in your life. Victim mentality will always bring you to the place of a storm, not to the place of a savior, not to the place of your peace. But it's always going to drive you further and further away. And you know what happens when we're struggled with problems and they get better than us and we feel crushed, we feel destroyed? You know what tends to happen in some people's life? We find ourselves turning to secret addictions, coping mechanisms, ways that we can deal with the problems. It's just a little bit of alcohol, it just numbs me so I can sleep at night. It's just a little bit of drugs. I'm not going hardcore like I used to. It's just something just to take me over that edge. <laughs> over the edge of the cliff. I just want to be numbed. Rob, how many times have you heard that dealing with people with recovery? I just want to be numbed from the pain. I just want to be numbed. I just want some peace in my life. I just want some purpose for my life. And all the time we're creating more storms for our lives. A greater storm. We're not breaking free, we're locking in. We're putting the anchor down in the doldrum. We're we're saying this is where I belong, this is what I have. I guess this is the best I'm going to get. Run from the storm. I said run from the storm. Here's another reason why we find ourselves in the doldrum. Our life gets out of balance. We're out of whack. Our priorities, just everything of our life just gets so skewed and we're out of whack when we're trying to overcompensate to make it and and trying to do more because if we do more, we've got to get more. (laughs) You'll be amazed. Don't laugh. Are you ready? I went to school, to college, to be an accountant. Can you believe that? Don't laugh. Don't laugh. I, I laughed about that. Went for a year to be an accountant. Hated every part of it. But I learned some things. In one of my classes, it was called cost accounting. I can't remember what the terms for it, but I'll explain it in my stupidity. That is this. One person can do one person's work. Two people can do two people's work. They can do twice as much work. So you would think that naturally then, if two people can do twice as much work, three people can do... No, it's not true because it starts falling off because three people do the work of about two and a half people. Four people do the work of like two and a quarter. It doesn't multiply the same way. There's an equation for that. So we just think in our lives, if I just do more, then I'm obviously going to get more. It doesn't always work like that in our life. My dad used to say this, one boy is one boy. 
Two boys is half a boy, and three boys is no boy at all. <laughs> when you get with other people, man, all the trouble you get is around other people. But listen to me. We think if I can just do more, but really what happens is we put our life further out of balance because then we're doing things that we don't need to be doing. And we're trying to prove to people. I remember someone saying to me, Pastor, how can I get my wife? How can I get my family back? I've I've done drugs. I've done alcohol. I've been an alcoholic. I just messed up so much in my family. What can I do to get them back? And I said, you can't repay the past, but you can live the future. And why would I say that? Because I've seen so many people try to make up for the past and everything they've done that they've now still become trapped and enslaved to the past and they can't break free. Come on, you can't change the past, but you can change your future by making today count, getting your life back in balance. When we get out of balance, we become cynical, we become frustrated, we become angry. Our soul is weary. And guess what? That infects every area of our life. Our marriage won't be what it needs to be. Our relationship with our kids won't be what it wants and needs to be. Our work will suffer. Our church will suffer. Our community. Life suffers if we're not where we need to be. And really, it's not a case of where we need to be. It's where he needs to be. He needs to be. It's amazing how many people feel alone in their struggle. Which brings us to a place of isolation, right where the enemy wants us. Why? Because he knows the word of God. He knows Proverbs 18.1. He knows the word that says, A man who isolates himself rages against all sound judgment. He knows if he can get you alone, he'll get you doing things that you don't need to be doing. That you'll be going against everything that's true and everything that's right. You will rage against those things. I love this. Listen, the doldrums flourish when we're focused on doing rather than being. When we forget that real life happens internally more than externally. When we get to a place that we would rather be doing something than being something. It's amazing. What are we called? We're not called human doings. You're called a human being. And you were called that for a reason. Why? Because that's the trap of the world. If I can just get you doing more, doing, 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 then that's success. That's where you're going to find life. But God says true life doesn't come from what you do. True life comes from who you are. Your being, your core, what you are when no one else is looking. You see, look at this. There are two ways to determine behavior. There's what's called the internal motivation. And there's what's known as the external motivation. The internal means that I'm doing it from the inside. The outside means that something is governing it from the outside. Let me use this example. In my marriage with my wife, I can be faithful to my wife for two reasons. Number one, because God's word says, if you are unfaithful, you commit adultery. That's the external. Or I can do it internally. Why? Because I have such a love for my wife that I don't want to hurt her and wound her, and harm her in any way. Do you see the difference? I can do it because of what I've been told, or I can do it because of who I am, and what I feel, and the heart 
that I have. What have I explained to you? I've showed you the difference between religion and relationship. Because religion says, just do this, do this, do this, do this, and everything's okay. And God says, it's not about doing, it's be this, be this, be this. Let God be the God inside of you. Come on, there's a struggle though, isn't there, between the two. And that's why Paul says there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And it's so much easier many times, just tell me what to do and to follow those rules. But what happens if someone stops telling you what to do? Know how I try to bring up our children? I try to bring up our children to know why it's wrong, not just it's wrong. Because someone's always going to have a reason when mum and dad ain't there for the reason why. That ain't wrong, that's right. But when they know the reason for themselves, they know it's more than just no. They know why it's no and what it can produce and what it can do and what can happen in your life. Come on, we've got to have the reason than just the external no. And God realized that didn't work because that was the law. That's not the gospel. And God gave the law. You know why God gave man the law in the Old Testament? God gave the man the law for this reason. One reason alone. To show them they could not fulfill it on their own. There's no way that you can make it. There's no way you can be good enough. There's no way you can do enough to be everything that God wants you to be. So what did he do? He came. He came upon a cross so we could have a relationship with him. And through relationship with him, he changes us from where? The inside out. You see, Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts that many people have made it. Christianity is desire that I have. I don't want those things anymore because I have something now greater inside of me. A God-given desire. A desire that can only be ignited through spending time with God. Pastor Francis, a friend of mine, he has a church in India. I've known him for many years. He was driving with my dad in England one day in a car and he asked my dad this question. Look at this question. He says, do you know what is greater than faith? He said to my dad, Rob, do you know what's greater than faith? So my dad kind of said... What? Did you translate that properly? I mean, he's Indian. He, he said, did you translate that properly? Because Francis, there's nothing greater than faith. I mean, relationship with God is the greatest thing. He says, no, pastor, there is one thing greater than faith. Dad says, well, help me. He said, the thing that's greater than faith is desire. Desire. Because you can have all the faith that you want. But if you lack desire to live it. It's dead. It's dead. It's pointless. It's meaningless. God, this year, give me a greater desire. My life's maybe out of whack. I've drifted away. Problems are all around me. And those problems maybe ain't going to leave me as I step into a new year. They're coming with me too, unfortunately. But you know what? Greater is he that is within me than everything that I can face. I don't have to be defeated going into a new year. I can go into a new year with a fresh desire, knowing God. Look, faith without desire is religion. But faith with desire is relationship. What do you want? Do you want something empty? A religion? 
Or do you want a relationship with God? I could go on today identifying the reasons why we're not where we need to be. But the answer is the same. We need a fresh encounter with God. I sent this statement out to some pastor friends of mine this morning. And it's something that's really challenged me for this new year. And that is this. If we cannot... We cannot make a difference if we're not different. We cannot make a difference if we're not different. Let that stick into your heart. I can't make a difference to my work if I'm not different. I I can't make a difference to my spouse who's away from God if I'm not different. Can't make a difference in my community if I'm the same. I've got to be different. And listen to what Pastor Paul from Chicago wrote back to me. He said, thanks, Phil, for the good word this morning. It's kind of interesting because the Lord woke me up today at 4.30 simply to say, I need more time with you. If I'm going to make a difference, he said, I need to be different. And the only way I can be different is to spend more time with the difference maker. Good word, Paul. Have an encounter with God. I love the scripture and I haven't got time because I need to bring this to a close. But I love the scripture where it talks about that Elijah was taken to a cave in a rock. And God said, I'm going to show you my glory. The wind came by, fire came by, earthquake. Man, magnificent things happened. The ground shook. It was incredible. But God wasn't in that. And the Bible says then a gentle whisper. Elijah fell to his knees and he recognized that was God. Why a whisper, pastor? Can I tell you why a whisper? Because God wants to be close. I said God wants to be close. That's the relationship he desires with every one of us. He whispers because he wants to be close. But how close is he to you and me? I can pray till I'm blue in the face and I'm going to, believe me. I'm going to pray that everyone in our church would have an encounter with God. In fact, I'm not just praying for you. I'm praying for the countless hundreds of people who are going to find our church next year and find a new encounter with God too. I'm believing for God to bring in such a harvest and I'm going to pray. As a church, we relaunched, we rebranded our church. For what reason? We loved Heartsees. We loved what God did in the past, but we're ready for something fresh. We're ready for people to encounter God in a new way. And we want a new name. We want a new identity as we step into that so people will know exactly who and what we are. But it's more than just corporately. It's got to start personally with you. 1 Corinthians 2.9. This is what the scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love Him. I'm tired of not seeing those things. I'm tired of not having those things. What the Word of God shows me is God's prepared them. Why is God prepared? Why do you prepare a meal? Why do you prepare a party for someone to eat, for someone to show up? You think God's preparing stuff for us just to tease us with it? To be mean with it? God has prepared it because it's yours. God has prepared it because it's got your name on it. 
God has prepared it because it's your healing, because it's your breakthrough, because it's your salvation for your kid. It's the miracle that you need. Why? Because God has prepared it. It's a promise prepared for you. But we don't get that from slack abiding. We only get that from desiring God more than anything else. Look at this statement, more means less. More means less. What do I mean by that? If I want more of him, it's got to be less of me. If I want more, that's what John said. I've got to decrease God so you can increase. And that's what we're going to be discussing over the next month. How can we encounter God in a fresh way? Come on, he's given us such great tools through his word, through worship and praise, through prayer, through friendships, through the Holy Spirit. Through our lives being planted where we're at. Come on, the state of our heart. Remember every time we do a message like today, I say, put your hand on your heart and pray. Why? Because it's your responsibility as the seed goes out to prepare the soil of your heart to receive. Come on, so the word can break through the hard, the rocky, the weeds, the thorns. And can penetrate deep and change your life. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm ready for you. To enjoy God like never before. I'm ready for people to enjoy church and not endure church. I'm ready for people to step into their God-given design and purpose that God has for their life. Why? Because God says in His words, I'm His workmanship. I'm created for good works. I'm created with purpose and meaning. I'm ready for you to live in power. Come on, I'm ready for you to step into situations and problems with your life, with your shoulders back, your head up, saying, come on, God, together we're going to do this thing. Tired of people seeing people defeated and deflated. And we're going to help you through those things. I want to see you have a proper focus in your life. I want to see you laugh again. Is that okay? I want to see you laugh because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you need to just laugh again and enjoy life again. Laughter doeth good, the Bible says, like a medicine. Some of you will heal things in your life by just laughing. Laughing, laughing. I'm ready to see you step into having godly friendships and godly relationships, not just grabbing anything and everyone that you think, but having someone that's going to further your life, better your life, encourage your life, sharpen your life. I'm ready for, to see us focus on others. You see, the problem we have is when we focus on ourselves. What about my needs? Oh, I can't serve because I've got all this going on in my life. I can't do this. Come on, when you begin to focus on your own needs, you shut yourself out of the needs of other people and you do more harm than good to your life. One of the greatest things that you can do is when you're going through struggles and pain is open up your life and begin to share your life by giving it to other people and watch how God will bless you. And give back to you. So here's what I'm saying, band. You can come back. Are you ready to catch a breeze? I said, are you ready to catch a fresh breeze? (laughs) That's going to blow you out of that doldrums. That you're going to fall in love with God like never before. Come on, I'm not selling anything today. But I'm telling you, January the 8th could be the beginning of your life. Why? Because we're stepping into 21 days of prayer and fasting, believing for God to rock our worlds, to rock our church, to rock this community like never before. 
You may say, why fasting, pastor? I can handle the prayer part. Why? Because fasting is important. Because fasting is what disconnects us from the world. And then prayer is what reconnects us back to God. For many of us, we need to disconnect so we can connect.